church, you'll hear the tender whisper of your voice in our ears. Fill with your spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So, as Alex said, we're going to be continuing in Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. But before we get there, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about the English language. Yeah? The English language is a little bit imprecise. For instance, uh, when you say chips, I think chips. Yeah? Or how about when you say biscuits, I think biscuits. Those are not uh, scones, those are biscuits. Uh, and when you say football, I think Football. Yeah, the English language is imprecise. Or think about the word love. You see, we don't have actually, it seems like we have a lot of words in English, but actually we don't have a lot of words in the English language because we use the same word to mean lots of different things. So we say that we love our moms, and we love our friends, and we love our partners, and we love pizza. But we don't love mom, and we don't love pizza in the same way. Right? We mean something different, but there's just this one word that we keep using over and over. Some of you are laughing. Maybe you love people the same way that you love your mom. I get it. I get it. Right? We use, we use uh, this one word to mean so many different things. And, and so it confuses us and it makes, us, makes it rather difficult to communicate. I've often said uh, that it was easier when I lived in China because everyone was clear that I didn't speak the same language. But living here sometimes, it's not obvious that we are not speaking the same language. <laughs> so we get into things. It makes things confusing because language can be imprecise. And so we have this problem uh, with the word worship. What do we mean by worship? What do we picture when we say worship? Are we talking about what we do here for uh, an hour or two on a Sunday morning? Are we just talking about the 30 minutes or so where there's music? Are we talking about a genre of Christian music that's just, you know, can happen anywhere? Are we talking about preaching? Are we talking about what is What is worship? What do we mean? So we began to explore that a little bit last week. Alex helpfully gave us those sort of four categories of what acceptable worship looks like. And if you're like me, you wrestled a bit with, what is my struggle in that? What is one? And hopefully you've continued to think about that. One of those four categories, wherever you found yourself last week. I won't quiz you on what they are because I can remember two, so I'm not going to expect you to remember all four either. But we're picking up on this idea of worship. And and before we jump into Hebrews chapter 13, we have to talk for a couple more minutes about worship. Because ultimately, last week we ended, if you you remember, and if you don't, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, It's page, I think it's the same page we were just on, 12.12? No, 12.11. So Hebrews chapter 12, last week we were looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. And Alex was speaking to us about acceptable worship. Now we have to pick up the conversation, right? We're just continuing the conversation because Hebrews chapter 13 is going to explain in greater detail. In case you left last week thinking, yeah, yeah, I know what my category is. I need to worship God in all of my life. But what does that mean? Well, the writer of Hebrews is really helpful because he says, no problem, I'm going to tell you what it means. So we're going to look at that in a few minutes, but I want us to unpack a little bit more this idea of what is worship? What do we mean? When we say that word. 
And the easiest way, I think, to understand what the writer of Hebrews meant, or even what the Jewish Christians who, who read this, who first heard this message, uh, what they would have understood is to, is to look back at the reference that's made there to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're not going to read it, so you don't necessarily need to turn there. Um, but you can if you want to skim through it. Um, but in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29... Uh, uh, the writer is talking about acceptable worship. And in verse 29, he quotes from, from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and says, Our God is a consuming fire. Well, what was he talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 4? I, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't memorized it. So I had to look it up. We have to think about, well, what, what does he mean by this? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you look through it, the, the, uh, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he's reminding them how God rescued them from Egypt. And then he's talking to them about how they should live now. So there's, a, there's some important clues here. So I do want you to turn to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. We'll come back to Hebrews, I promise. We won't be, we won't be gone long. But at Exodus chapter 8, we're in the midst of the story of Moses going in to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. If you're not familiar with this story... Although you may have, if you've seen the old, uh, this is how old I am, I I grew up watching the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments, the whitest Moses ever, Uh, right? There's the Prince of Egypt, I mean, there's lots of movies and stories about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, right? That they were living in slavery, and God sent Moses in to bring them out, and there were the plagues. It's a familiar story. And in the midst of this, if you look at Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, God sends Moses... And he tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to say this. Exodus chapter 8, it's page 64. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, he says, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they may worship me. I haven't caught this. The reason that God rescued the Israelites is so that they could worship him. He does not rescue them because they're having a hard life. He does not rescue them so that they can be happy, so they can be free of pain and misery, so that their children can have a better life, so that they can live in safety or security. He rescues them so that they can worship him. And so it's instructive to us then that Deuteronomy reminds the Jews, listen, you were rescued so that you can worship. You were rescued. So all of your life then revolves around this idea of worship. We've literally now just discovered the meaning of life. You can leave today and you can tell everyone, I know the meaning of life. It's just that simple. We're rescued for worship. So what is worship then? What does worship mean? Well, this, uh, this phrase, let my people go so that they may worship me, is repeated at least three times in Exodus. Moses says it over and over again. And each time, the word there that's worship, I'm going to teach you some Hebrew this morning. Are you ready for this? You're going to learn the meaning of life in Hebrew all in five minutes. <laughs> Best sermon ever. Uh, that word worship in Hebrew is the word avad. Can anybody say that? Say it with me. Avad. Let me hear you say it. Avad, avad. So this word avad in Hebrew actually means to serve. We translate it as worship, kind of like love, right? We mean a lot of different things. We translate it as worship, but in Hebrew, avad means to serve. And it has the idea of someone who's working for an employer or a servant who's working. 
working for a master. It's about serving. So God says, I want you to rescue my people so that they will avad me, so that they will serve me, so that they will worship me. You cannot serve someone on just a little bit of time. If, if I'm a servant uh, for a master, you know, uh, recalling my Downton Abbey days, right? it's all of life, isn't it? It's all of life. My life is consumed by serving another. We're rescued for worship. Here's why this is a powerful image for Jewish Christians and for us. Because Moses rescuing the Israelites in Egypt is a picture and a reminder to us of why Jesus came to die on a cross. He came to rescue us, not so that we can have a happy life, not so that we can be free of pain and struggle, not so that our children can have a better life than we had, not so that we live in safety or financial security, not so that we're happy or free of all pain and all struggle. Jesus died on a cross. He rescued us from being enslaved by our sin so that we can avod him, so that we can serve him, so that we can worship him. Is this helpful to you? It's helpful to me because it helps me to understand then that our definition, if your picture of worship is what happens here on Sunday morning, or if your picture of worship is 30 minutes with the band, it's not that that's not what worship is, it's just that it's too small of a definition. That God's picture of worship, the definition that we have for worship, involves both the honoring and respecting and the praising of Jesus, the lifting up of who God is, but also is serving him with the way that we live. It's worship and serving. If we use our sort of modern Western idea of this is what worship is this time here, it's worship and serving. They need to live together. That's why um, it's Matthew 15, I believe. I wrote it down here. It's Matthew 15, I believe, that that talks about they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Alex referenced that last week. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They come in and they worship God and they say, God, I praise you because you died on the cross for me. And we lift our hands and we clap and we sing and we shout. But the way that we live says actually we're not worshiping because worship involves serving God. We've been rescued to worship. So then what does Hebrews uh, want to tell us? Why is the Hebrew writer referencing all of this stuff in Deuteronomy? It's quite simple. the, The story of the nation of Israel is that God rescued them from Egypt. He brought them out so that they could worship him. And then all of those Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all those books, you think, oh, these are hard to read. This is, this is God telling the nation of Israel, this is how you worship. This is how you serve me. And Hebrews does the same exact thing. That throughout the book of Hebrews, for, for months now, we've been going through, and the writer of Hebrews has been telling us, don't forget, you have been rescued. Jesus died on the cross from you. Remember, just like the Israelites, remember Egypt. We need to remember. Remember all the way back when Jesus rescued you. Recognize that you've been rescued for worship. And now, as we're coming to the end, chapter 13 of Hebrews does what Deuteronomy does for the nation of Israel. And, and the writer of the Hebrews says, this is how you live. You have been rescued. You've been rescued for worship. Now this is how you live. And he gives us chapter 13. And what you'll find, we'll talk about this for a few weeks, but uh, chapter 13, the first um, 
10 verses or so, go through all these different areas of life where God calls us to abide. He calls us to serve him. He says, this is acceptable worship. Any worship that lacks this, this aspect of serving God in the way that we live is not actually worship. We're honoring with our lips. We're raising our hands. We're praising God, but we're not living it out. So what is acceptable worship? Hebrews chapter 13. If you look at uh, verses 1 and 2, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2 today. He says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, in one sense, these are, these are fairly simple to understand. They're fairly simple to understand. They're not at all easy to do. They're fairly simple to understand. First, the writer says uh, in verse 1, we need to love each other as brothers and sisters. He's talking about the people within our families, but the people within our church, the people within the community of faith, that we need to love and care for each other as brothers and sisters. Well, we know what that means. However, I know that this is difficult. I know this is not easy because over the years, I've spoken to enough people who, who have told me, oh, it's been 10, 15, 20 years since I spoke to this or that family member. It's not an easy thing to do. And yet God says, you cannot worship me if you do not love the people that are a part of your family. Not just your immediate family, though I think it does include them, but your family, the people in this room. We cannot worship God in an acceptable manner if we come in here and we raise our hands and we sing and we praise God and then we walk out the back doors and we say, oh, she really annoys me. Oh, I hate it when she does that. Oh, I don't really like that song. We're not loving one another. And yet scripture says that if you want to worship God and this is the meaning of life, this is the reason that you've been rescued, is to worship him, to avod him. Then we serve him by loving the people in our family. And then the second thing in verse 2, he says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For, uh, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So who are strangers? I don't think this is a stranger danger. I don't think you need to run out and find lots of people that you don't know. And uh, start telling them, I love you, man. We're going to be best friends. Like, that's weird. <laughs> Don't be weird, okay? Christmas is not, oh, you know. I mean, you could give a candy cane to them if that's a way of loving them. That's okay. But this is not about finding people we don't know. The word stranger here, I looked it up in the dictionary because, you know, I like to do that. Uh, the, the definition for stranger is a newcomer, an outsider, or someone who is not a member of your group, your family, or your community. There are people in this room who are strangers to you. It's anyone who is not like you. Anyone who is not like you. For some of you, I am a stranger. I know, I'm standing up here talking, but I'm a stranger because I'm a newcomer. I'm an outsider. I'm not from here. I use the wrong words for things. Yeah? It's anyone who's not like you. It's those people who are much, much younger than you or much, much older than you. It's those people who are single when you're married. It's the people who are divorced. It's the, it's the people who are married if you're single. It's the people with kids when you don't have any. It's the people who don't look like you. The people whose skin color is not the same as yours. The people who don't speak the same language or eat the same food or aren't as educated as you. The people who are richer than you are. The people who are poorer than you are. Anyone who is not like you. 
God says, you cannot worship me if you are not showing love and hospitality to people who are not like you. You cannot do it. The, the studies have been done in the U.S. that say the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. The most segregated hour in America is on Sunday morning. I don't know if it's exactly the same here, but my limited experience would tell me that it's probably not so, 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 so different. And that even, and can I challenge you, can I, I feel, um, I felt very nervous this morning, but I, I feel like I need to be very honest. Just because you're sitting in a room with people who are different than you does not mean that you're loving them well. Just because you're in the same room together, do you actually make an effort to speak to them, to talk to them beyond the, hiya, how are you? Are you having a good week? Great, goodbye. Are you loving them well? Do we care for one another well? And if you're the person who says, I'm the outsider, God still calls you to love the people who are not like you. So don't look at the, uh, everyone else in the room and say, no one talks to me, no one loves me. We're all called, if we want to worship God, if we want to serve God, then we need to love the people who are not like us. Now, how is this worship? I thought I'll, I'll stop for a moment, and I'll share with you a short story before we wrap up. Uh, to help us to understand how loving other people, how serving other people is actually worshiping God. So when I was in grad school, I worked as a nanny for about a year. So I looked after three children. So their mom paid me. Uh, both of the parents were lawyers, and they were quite busy. So mom uh, hired me to come, and the kids were all school age. Um, I think the youngest, I think Eli was five or six, I don't know. Um, and so I would go, and I, would, I had the, the family van. I would drive the minivan around and pick up the kids after school, and then take them home and get them snacks and then drive them to like 47 different places. In fact, there were other staff that worked in the house and sometimes we had to divide and conquer because with three kids, it was, uh, they all played an instrument, violin, piano, and uh, guitar. And then there was also the swimming and the gymnastics and the soccer and the uh, football, if you will. Uh, right, and there was, they had just so many different records. So I would pick them up, bring them home. I had to run them all these different places, make sure they got the homework started, make sure they had a snack. Sometimes work with the, there was another lady who cooked and cleaned, Teresa. So I'd work with Teresa to make sure they got their dinner. Sometimes I had to stay late and help them finish their school projects, all kinds of things. Now their mom paid me to take care of them. Their mom paid me. I worked for her. I served her by caring for her children. So when I would show up and I would look after the kids, I would often think, so I remember one time, Talia, the middle one, the only girl, uh, I don't know where we went. We went to some, like, maybe it was a gymnastic thing, I don't remember. It was something that was a bit longer. And the kids were sitting in these groups with the teacher. I literally cannot remember what we were doing, mostly because I was probably blanking it out thinking about Hebrew or something. Uh, but I remember sitting there, and they had the, these marbles they were playing with, and I saw her take one, and she put it in her pocket. It didn't belong to her. And I thought, oh, she just stole. And I had this battle within me of like, what do I, like, do I, I'm not her mom. <laughs> do I address this? Do I just let it go? Do I, do I tell on her to her mom? That feels really horrible. I don't want to do that. What do I do? And so I remember thinking, well, what would her mom do if she were here? How would her mom want her? Well, her mom wouldn't want her to steal something, even if Philly is a marble, because it doesn't belong to her. I know her mom would not want her to do that. So I had to take her aside to Talia, you know, and she's, no, I didn't steal anything. I'm like, now you're lying, I'm stealing. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, 
jail one day, you know. And so I was sitting here, we had this conversation, and we deal with this whole thing. But the whole time, I'm thinking about, if her mom were here, how would she handle this? What would her mom do? And how can I, because her mom's not here, but her mom has asked me to come instead. And so every single day when I came to pick up the kids and when I cared for the kids, I had to care for them in a way to say, how would their mom care for them? How would their mom love them? What would their mom have me do if she were here? Because she can't be here, but she sent me instead. So I served their mother. I did my job for their mother by loving them as sweet and as wonderful and as fun as those kids were. I did not just show up because I really liked the kids. I, did, I wasn't there because they were my favorite. In fact, sometimes they were not my favorite. In fact, sometimes I wanted to be someplace else. But I showed up because I was serving their mom. Now, if I showed up to their mom, not in respect for her, she's my boss, she's a nice lady, she had an, an important job. Now, if I showed up and spoke to her and said, oh, yeah, you're such a great boss, and you're so good, and I have so much respect for you, and you're amazing, and you're so great, and she left, and then I never picked up her kids. I forgot them. I, I didn't feed them snacks before they went to gymnastics. I never did their homework with them. Am I serving her? I said nice things to her. I told her how much I respect her. I always I always show up every week and speak to her and talk to her and tell her I love her, but I'm not taking care of her children. Am I serving her? I can't actually serve the mom unless I love her children well. I can't actually serve my employer. I can't work well for her unless I care for those that she has entrusted to me because she sent me in her place. Do you see? The way that we care for others is worship to God because he has sent us in his place. Scripture says that we are the body of Christ. So every time we encounter someone, we should look at them. We should look at our children. We should look at our partners. We should look at our neighbors, the people in our church, the people who look nothing like us, who act nothing like us. And we should say, how would Jesus love this person? And that's what I should do. Because if Jesus were in the room, what would he do? Because I am Jesus in the room for this person. Because Christ lives in me. So worship, then, has, has everything to do with how we care for other people. We have to avad. We need to serve God. And the way that we serve God is by caring for those that he's entrusted to us. So the challenge this morning is, is one really just for us to reflect on. The challenge for you to reflect on, the first thing to consider is... Um, are all the people that you love, are all the people that you have relationships with, both inside and outside the church, do they all look like you? Are they all in your same stage of life? Do they all like the things that you like? Oh, it's uncomfortable. You don't have to raise your hands, but think about it. We need to reflect on it. Is everyone just like me? Are we all the same age? Are we all in the same socioeconomic bracket? Are we all the same level of education? If everyone that you have a relationship with is just like you, then you need to, you need to reflect on, is God calling me to love a stranger, someone who's not like me? Is there someone in this room that you think, you know what, they're nothing like me, and I've never even had a conversation with them? 
If we're going to serve God, if we're going to worship God, we need to love the people that he loves, and we need to love them in the way that he loves them. So the first thing to reflect on is, are all the people that you love just like you? The second thing to reflect on, and I think this would be helpful this week, is as you encounter people in relationship, to ask yourself, how would Jesus love this person? How would Jesus love this person? When your kids are driving you bonkers, how would Jesus love them right now? When you get together at Christmas with those family members that you are glad you only see once a year, how would Jesus love this person? When you come across a a neighbor that you only run into occasionally and you know they've been ill, how would Jesus love this person? It's an opportunity for us to reflect. Alex mentioned Christmas coming up. Maybe there are people in, in your community, in, um, in Los Angeles where I used to live. L.A. is full of uh, transplants, people who are not from there, who will not live there for a long time. And the church that I went to in L.A., around the holidays, they would always look for, they called them holiday orphans. They're people who are far away from home, they're far away from their family, and they're in a place that they don't know. And they would always say, and they, you know, it was more like they announced it from the stage, but you always look for who are the orphans, who are the people who need a place. I was welcomed into many, and eventually we had many a Thanksgiving with people from all over the world. We had Thanksgiving one year with a Muslim family came, uh, friends from Australia, myself from the East Coast, uh, a couple from India, and then one family who actually lived and grew up in California. And we all came together because we needed family. How would, at this time of year, how would Jesus love the people who aren't from here? How would Jesus love the people who are alone that you know? How would Jesus love the people who are grieving this year at Christmas? If we want to worship God, come in on Sunday morning and raise your hands and worship and sing and pray and dig into the word. But make sure when you leave throughout the rest of the week that you continue to abide. Continue to worship. Continue to serve by the way that you care for his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just lift you up in this place. I do thank you for the reminder that you rescued us. You remind us week after week after week. And and, and Alex reminded us last week of that, of, of the need to remember what you've done for us. And so we do want to stop now, Jesus, and pause and remember that you have rescued us. And we're so thankful. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. But we're so desperately thankful for what you've done for us. And we're thankful for the opportunity we have over this Christmas season to be reminded that you came for us because you love us. Help us to love the people around us, the people both inside and outside, our families and the strangers around us, God, that we would love them as you have loved us, that we would love them as if we're loving you because we serve you and we love them. Help us to see in the faces around us the image of Christ That we would see that they are image bearers. That they represent who God is and we would love them as if we were loving you. Help us to reflect on how we can worship you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chrissy. Should we sound together? Sing that last song.